Major support for Out to Lunch Acadiana is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com, and by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state, including Lafayette and Lake Charles, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank, banking with greater momentum at b1bank.com. Support also comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette. From Cafe Pavilionville in Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Professor of Finance and Director of the award-winning Birken Road Reports, Peter Raschuti. It's business, Acadiana style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch Acadiana. You've probably seen a version of the cartoon where a dog is sitting at a computer. He's looking down at his doggy friend, explaining to him, you see on the internet, nobody knows you're a dog. Similarly, on the internet, you could be an online business and computing superstar, and nobody knows you're in Acadiana. Like, for example, Doug Menefee. Doug is a nationally recognized leader and innovator in technology. He advised companies like Amazon, yes, the Amazon.com, and Dropbox in the innovation of cloud computing. He's a local Lafayette boy and a kayak fisherman. Doug Menefee, welcomed out to lunch. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. And Nicholas Laborde makes video games. In 2010, he founded his company, Raconteur, reportedly without knowing anything about computer programming. Today, Raconteur has six employees scattered around the country while Nicholas pulls the strings here from Lafayette. The company recently launched its first game, Close Order, which has already caught the attention of Microsoft Xbox. Nicholas, welcome out to lunch. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here for better or worse, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> the cavalcade of stars of Acadian computing continues with Trey King, owner and developer of iCandy Labs. Now, iCandy designs and makes software specializing in custom-made apps for other companies, for phones and for tablets. They also have a couple of their own apps that you can get at the Apple App Store. You might find one of them useful tonight. It's called Raging Out. It's an app that lets you discover events and nightlife in Acadiana, as well as hooking up with your friends who are out. Trey, welcome to Out to Lunch. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Doug, cloud computing was sold to us initially as the wave of the future, and instead of clogging up our computers with programs that got bigger and bigger, the program would live somewhere in the cloud, and so would our data, and so would our, we could access it from anywhere. The cloud is, I assume, actually a machine in Switzerland or Nevada or somewhere. So two questions. Has the cloud computing revolution happened as predicted, and is my data any safer, um, really, than it was on my laptop now that it's in a giant warehouse in Nevada or somewhere? Yeah. The, the cloud is a ubiquitous term that I've struggled with for a long time. It's uh, marketing that has been reinvented. Uh, in the 90s, it was called application service providers. The, the reality is that uh, cloud computing is based off of exactly what you said, a server that is managed and maintained by somebody outside of your normal office environment. And in regards to the revolution, it is still taking place. So. Historically, all enterprises, small businesses, they had a server inside of a data center, inside of their office space, and now what they've done is they've said, that doesn't have to be at the physical location of where I am. 
So if you take Lafayette, we've got a robust telecommunications network, fiber optics, and now I can have my data located anywhere inside of the world. The advantages is that somebody else is administering that hardware, so you don't have to have that expense of administering the hardware. The transition that's taking place is startup companies today, they start off on the cloud, which allows them to move much faster than companies that have all of their equipment on-premises and those, those, uh, those environments by which they have to maintain and manage. With enterprises move, making this shift, they're struggling right now, so they're in the middle of the revolution because they may have thousands and thousands of work apps that they've spent millions of dollars on in their own data center environment. They're now migrating those apps over to the uh, cloud, whereas the small and medium businesses are able to compete faster because they're able to uh, start up utilizing those services. Now, is that what you do for uh, Amazon and Dropbox? What do you do over there? I, I was uh, doing an advisory capacity, going and visiting with CIOs at Global 100 companies, uh, you name it, the, uh, everything from DirecTV to Kaiser Permanente. Was this kind of on your own? Uh, as a consultant, correct. Wow, terrific. As the enterprise CIO advisor for Amazon Web Services and working with startup companies that really needed to do software development and uh, getting them involved in the Activate program from an entrepreneurial perspective. I like your idea that maybe starting a little later was actually an advantage here in this case. It absolutely is. You can move uh, today a person uh, with programming skills such as uh, our other guests. partner, a guest over <laughs> here, can, can literally be competing against uh, or building out the same type of infrastructure in uh, a quarter of the amount of time as a company that has an army of system engineers and be able to be more effective and efficient on doing it. Now, how did you get to this level? What were you, you went to UL, right? Uh, I did. Uh, uh, former military, activated in Desert Storm. I hear they have very good technology in the military. Uh, they didn't at the time oh, that okay, I was the there. <laughs> so, uh, studying architecture at the university and doing design curriculum. I started doing AutoCAD and uh, Photoshop type of work. Ended up starting my own company with a group of friends in 95 called Planet Symphony which ultimately uh, we spun off an entity called Starseed. Of course, Planet Symphony would create a Starseed. Right, of course. And uh, that was acquired by GeoCities and Yahoo. I came, uh, I stayed here in Lafayette, and uh, the core Planet Symphony which was doing web application development, today known as cloud computing. It was uh, acquired by Graham Group. But tell me, you're, you're, let's say you're UL and you're in architecture. There must have been something that grabbed you there other than the architecture itself for instance I, I would say for me the saving grace is I'm a highly dyslexic individual and computers are what kept me from having to probably dig ditches uh, wow. because uh, spell correct grammar correct and I can type much more efficiently than I can uh, physically write because of the uh, uh, Technology. So you have overcome that and more. Uh, it's pretty primarily, amazing. and that's what I credit uh, computers for being able to do to help me with my professional. By career. the way, Doug, even if you're a ditch digger, we would have you on. Uh, I, I just want to. Have we ever had a ditch no, digger? No, we haven't yeah. yet. But I, Doug would have been our first. I think. <laughs> yeah. You've not now, seen me dig a ditch. <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas, you graduated from UL with a degree in business. 
Your first published game, Close Order, reportedly revolves around developing a space armada to discover the fate of humanity in a post-Earth galaxy. Wow. I assume that while you were studying, you were spending a fair amount of time gaming. Uh, you also seem to be a storyteller. Uh, the name of your company, Rocketeer, is a person who tells stories. Uh, as a business major, what was your business motivation for building a game company? So honestly, I just want to first off say what I love so much about Acadiana is everyone sees the word Rockenter and they know what it is and they know how to pronounce oh, it. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many people mispronounce it. Uh, my personal favorite is Racketeer. Racketeer <laughs> Which is games. very that's different. <laughs> I'm Italian and that's... Uh, with <laughs> I think a, a lot of my motivation came down to it was my dream since I was four years old. I knew I wanted to make video games and you know, you think, oh, So let's say you're, you're four you, you started playing like which games that... Uh, First game I ever played was Super Mario World on the Super Nintendo. Now it was my brother's. It was not mine. My brother was five years older than me, and he would leave for school. So I would have been in <laughs> pre-K. He would have been in fourth grade. He would leave for school 30 minutes before me. So I, for 30 minutes a day, five days a week, would get to play games. I was terrible at it. I didn't know what was going on. My motor skills weren't developed, but I knew at that moment that's what I wanted to do in the future. You're making Whoa. me feel very old right now with <laughs> Mario being your first video game. Because you would have you would have been in college oh, when yeah. Super Mario was the came Super out. Nintendo. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah the, Atari. Uh, <laughs> well, Doug, you remember your brother left for school and then you started playing with the Abacus. You remember that? Yeah, the, uh, the, yeah. yeah. It was just it was just before Pong came into play, oh, which was my first video oh, game. Oh my god, oh. this this is a young person's game. And you know, all three are from UL, right? That's pretty mm -hmm. that's pretty wild. But you know, a lot of people love to play games. Uh, a lot of them get into it, but the idea of making a game company, that's quite a leap. Wow. How'd you do? You're a business major, so that was probably percolating in there. Absolutely. So uh, my story is, I'm sure Doug will appreciate this, I thought I wanted to be a programmer. I was originally a computer science major at UL, but I changed it before I started because I bought a couple books on programming, and I said, all right, I want to figure it out before I devote four years of my life to it. Well, I got through the very first program that every programmer writes. It's called Hello World. You literally just make a box in the command prompt, and it's black, and it has white text, and it says, hello, comma, world, exclamation. I typed it, and I said, not for me. <laughs> and then I made the decision to pursue business because if I couldn't technically, my lame joke, work on games, I could find the people who could and start a company around it. Wow. Now, and, you know, I've, uh, as we said, we looked up a little bit about the game and such. How do you, I mean, I think people ask how you write a book or write a song. How do you start a video game? <clears throat> well, it's a little bit of magic involved. Okay. It's not entirely logical. It is very much an art and not a science. So basically what you would do, you start off with a lot of very, very talented people, way smarter than myself, who can create the core of the game. It's called an engine. That's the technology that runs it. And everything feeds into the engine. So the programmers will build how the game plays and runs. The artists will add in the stuff for how the game looks. The sound designers, the composers, the musicians will add in the sound. And it all kind of feeds together into one beast that is incredibly hard to control. Uh, I'll mention this later on, but I had a mentor and executive in the industry, and he once told me that 75% of game development is banging your head against the wall, figuring out what your game is. And, and as I have your basically... Your head looks fine, by the way. It's radio. <laughs> well, thank so you, thank you very out. much. <laughs> and as someone who's released a commercial product, I can completely agree with that. Wow. That is, that is right. Now, I've got to admit, because I've got some sons at home, it's, mm -hmm. it's pretty darn addictive. Absolutely. It's, uh, and, again, and you're designing a game you want it to be mm -hmm. addictive. They, uh, are there certain things you put in a game that you, you know are going to um, grab somebody? There, are there certain things you saw in other games that, that you want to add to it? Absolutely. So uh, as a creative person, and you know, 
if you think of someone saying there's nothing new in music, it's true because all music just copies each other. You look at the, the rhythm of pop songs in the past like, 100 years and they're all the exact same. So, um, what was the question again? I got lost. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do I, do I look at other games? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So, in game development, we talk about a psychology concept called flow. And this was uh, researched in the 1970s by... Uh, a psychologist whose name is uh, Mikael, something extremely long in like Czech that I won't even attempt to pronounce. <laughs> but his research, surprisingly enough, was not done on video games, but has extreme application towards video games. So the idea is that uh, when was the last time that you know you read a book or you watched a movie or a TV show and you were just so invested in it right. and you lost track of all time? You say, oh, I'm just going to watch this, and then it's 2 in the morning. That is a flow state. That is when you are completely immersed in something so much to the point that you lose track of time, you don't know what's going on in your surroundings as much, and you are completely invested in what's going on, usually a piece of entertainment. And for video games, there are many things you have to do sort of from a psychological standpoint in order to maximize a flow state and keep people involved. Because, for example... Uh, the basic core of how a game plays is called the feedback loop. It's usually very small, like 30 seconds. So in 30 seconds, what's everything you can do in the game? If you have an issue that makes someone frustrated in the first five seconds, they're never going to get invested. They're never going to want to play the game. Now I know too much. This, uh, <laughs> now, Trey, there are a little... If I get too technical, just stop. No, me. no, no, I'm ready. <laughs> this explains it to me. Trey, there are literally more than a billion with a B apps for phones and tablets, uh, you'd have to think that just about every conceivable idea has been made into an app already. Uh, has it, or are there still original ideas out there? Can the app market keep growing forever? Well, it's true there are a lot of apps out there right now. I'd say in the, in the last six years, um, a lot of doors have, have been closed as far as, you know, what's, you know, what's out there to be created that people want. Um, I think there's probably still pretty close to a, an unlimited amount of, you know, potential as far as things that the public might be interested in. But You got uh, a few of them in your head? Well, I mean, I, I have some ideas. Don't tell uh, us because it'll be copied. <laughs> <don't say. laughs> yeah. I have to sign a non-disclosure first. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think that there's a, there's a lot of room to grow still. Uh, especially right now, you see things like uh, you know, like Uber. Everything's become on demand. Netflix and Uber. Everyone wants uh, access to media and to uh, you know, internet and connectivity uh, on a on a on demand basis, mm -hmm. which is kind of the the driving force. I don't know how many more of those ideas are out there, but it, pretty much everyone that comes to me today, uh, a lot of the majority of those ideas are some sort of on-demand idea. Well, let's talk about that meeting. Uh, somebody's got an idea for an app, and they come to Trey, right? And uh, kind of go from there. It's, it's. Uh, I guess they they might ha not have the physically uh, the technical skills to move it forward. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you kind of have. Uh, I break it into two uh, kind of groups. So there's folks that have a successful business already and would like to. Uh, create a component uh, of to augment that business that is you know using mobile, whether it's a tablet or whether it's a phone. So they might be a brick and mortar kind of company that, right? Like uh, for instance, I mean, you may have a construction company, for instance, uh, that uh, that wants to keep track and log all of the you know crew times and uh, reporting these type of things for a business application. Um, that's an existing business an example of you know someone that wants to uh, take advantage of 
new technology to enhance their existing business. Uh, that's one camp of folks that kind of come through the door. The other side of things are folks with an idea that is a new idea, something that doesn't exist, and a business that has not yet been formed. So that's, uh, uh, that's probably the majority of people that come through um, the door and want to you know, start a conversation about what could, you know, what could I do with them, how can I help them to bring their idea to life. Um, those are typically can be more challenging. A lot of times the folks that come through with these ideas um, don't necessarily have funding and they don't necessarily have uh, an experience in owning and operating a business already. So uh, more of those ideas uh, fail to, to you know, take root and you know, really kind of get off the ground. A lot of that is due to you know, the, you know, the, the cost prohibitive nature of, of developing technology. It can be an expensive endeavor. And so a lot of times folks are unaware that uh, building a mobile app is not the same as building a website. You know, uh, yeah. so, you know the bar barrier, the bar to entry of a website, and the the budget necessary to build a website is, uh, you know, maybe a tenth of what it will oh, cost right. to build a, a mobile app. Uh, oh, well, a, everyone's uh, doing it. It's easy, right? Yeah. I was yeah. Say, as, a, as a technologist, my wife used to uh, laugh when we would go to social events, and she said, "You could see people start to kind of circle around, and you start to feel like a physician that's giving free <laughs> medical advice. You know, like I need to buy a new computer. What computer should I buy?" And the people don't have an understanding that a hardware is very much different than the software environment and the businesses. They, because technology is so friendly today, they don't realize the amount of effort that it takes behind the scenes. And some things that seem really complex to do from a programming perspective are actually very easy to do, but things that seem like they would be very easy to do, they're actually extremely complex to do. And Doug, I've got to ask you, pretty humble, but how did you get to this level? I mean, there's a lot of people in this field failure seriously <laughs> you, you, you fail you, you have to accept failure as being an opportunity to learn so every time there was a, a failure it was let me not repeat the way that I did that in the past and uh, focusing for me on alignment with the businesses that I was working with whether it was my role as a CIO at Schumacher group or whether it was consulting with a, a company and people, process, and technology, basically just challenging the status quo to always do improvement. And Trey, um, we've got these majors here. We had uh, architecture and business. You were at UL. What did you study over there? Well, uh, I studied a number of things. Uh, I did not did get a degree in any of those things, but I started off as a, as a jazz <laughs> composition here. major. Oh, wow. I had a scholarship to, uh, to attend UL um, and in the jazz program, so... So that's what brought me here to Lafayette. Uh, I didn't take a long time, though, to realize uh, the limited earning potential of a degree there. So, uh, so I, I got into, uh, of all things, strangely, mathematics because uh, I, that's a major you I, can't fake. Well, you yeah, I really <laughs> like uh, problem solving. I really enjoy math, and so uh, that was kind of where I went next. And after I did that uh, for about two and a half years, math no longer has numbers in it after a certain time. I, I stopped a, taking them when, before that happened. Right. So, I mean, <laughs> I, did, I did all the stuff that, that you do as an engineer, and I really enjoyed that because it's like, you know, here's the problem, find the solution, and then once it stopped being, you know, of that nature, you know, discrete mathematics, they say, um, that's when I sort of lost interest, and I decided I would go into mechanical engineering. So I did that. 
for so another. So now you're about 48 years old. Yeah. And you're so switching majors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so eventually, uh, Uncle Sam apparently does keep track of how much money you borrow from him. Yes, and he he, he, uh, he contacted me and said, uh, "You may not borrow any more money from me," and uh, and that is when my education came to an abrupt halt. So. I decided I needed to start a business. What a great motivational show this will be for, for people well, to change majors. It's, and it's absolutely fantastic. So I, I started pre-med, interior design, architecture, ended with industrial design. And I'm the guy that when I see Dr. Savoy all the time, I say, you know, I really could use an honorary bachelor's degree. Oh, and, so, and it started long be before done. him with Dr. Audemars. So I still, I'm the guy lobbying for that honorary bachelor's degree. Let me know when that becomes available. Exactly. Uh, the three of you, uh, what Lafayette as a technological hub, how's it doing? So for, for me, uh, understand that I started my company up in the 90s and struggled with investment. I remember walking into companies and saying, there's a, uh, here's a website, would you like to have a website? And having to explain what a web page was, you know, when we were trying to do web applications. And we... We broadcast the first uh, Mardi Gras over the internet. We re um, reached a global audience of 250 people, which at the time was astounding. <laughs> and what we struggled, though, is that we had what we refer to as brain drain. So all of my friends graduating from the university were leaving the state to go pursue jobs elsewhere. That's when I started to get involved in the community. We even had our company, which included my brother, relocating out of Louisiana into Oregon to be acquired by GeoCities and Yahoo. And with that, I said, Lafayette has so much potential. We have this great talent. We're exporting it all. I started working within the community with a whole bunch of other people, whether it was the Cadena Technology Group, Zydatech, all the things that have kind of been the building blocks to where we're at today that has created now collaboration environments, and I love hearing it, for individual entrepreneurs, startup companies to network and build that community. And that's why the Austins of the world and uh, San Francisco's and Silicon, uh, Silicon Valley areas are so successful. It's not because they have smarter people. It's because they've created an environment and a community by which the individuals can uh, share and compete at the same level, and they're open with being able to do that. I can speak from the video game development and more creative aspects of uh, what's going on here in Lafayette. We've got great artists. We have a world-renowned comic artist called Cody Chamberlain who's done a lot of great stuff. We have uh, an up-and-coming filmmaker named Ahmed Siddiqui with his great little nonprofit backstory. We've got all these great artists and creators in Lafayette and the Acadiana region that are making things here and making Lafayette's mark on the world. And uh, for game development, I can honestly, I don't know if it was coincidence or because of Raconteur's presence in Lafayette, but <laughs> we, there are, have been more video game startups in Lafayette since Raconteur took stage and released our game, and that is fantastic. One of the key resources that we have here, I believe Doug was involved with, uh, you know, uh, cheerleading the, the fiber. Uh, which is directly responsible for my entering into technology. So there's there's a great you know ecosystem and, and community of, of technology that's you know being fostered and, and growing here right now. Doug Nicholas Trey, probably the greatest thing about the business y'all are in, and at the time we're in, is that you can do what you're doing, compete at the highest levels, and succeed in technolo technological innovation. But right here in Lafayette, 
if you had to move to New York or Los Angeles, you know, we wouldn't be at, at Cafe V in the first thing. And, uh, and you wouldn't be walking out of here and hanging out with your close friends and family tonight. And Acadiana would be a lot poorer for your absence. So thank you for sticking around. And thanks so much for all of you for taking the time to join me on Out to Lunch. Absolutely. Glad to, glad to be part of it. Thank this you for inviting so us. Fun. This is actually a very glad encouraging show. Particularly, this has been terrific. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Doug Menefee, who is many things, but technically the current commissioner of LITE, that's the Louisiana Immersive Technology Enterprise, and CIO in residence for the Opportunity Machine, Nicholas Laborde, the founder of Rocketeer, and Trey King, the owner and software developer at iCandy Labs. You can find out more about Doug's cloud, Nicholas's game, and Trey's apps by following the links in our websites, krvs.org and itsacadiana.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Today's show was engineered by Chris Keogh. The unforgettable Dominic Lloyd is our researcher. The theme song, Encore Monsieur Nice Guy, is written by Mitch Foreman and performed by Mitch Foreman and Andre Michaud. Our Acadiana business consultants are Pete Prados from Innovate Acadiana, Zach Barker from The Opportunity Machine, and Dr. Blake Escaday. Today's show is recorded live over lunch at Cafe Vermilionville in Lafayette. Cafe V is open six days a week and has live music. You can get the show as a podcast, you can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, itsacadiana.com and krvs.org. Support for Out to Lunch Acadiana comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette, located off Pinhook near Calise Saloon. Wyndham Garden Lafayette is pet and family friendly, offering complimentary parking and Wi-Fi. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and krvs 88.7 FM. I'm Peter Rusciutti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch Acadiana is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S. Providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base joneswalker.com and by Business First Bank with locations throughout the state including Lafayette and Lake Charles providing personal and commercial banking treasury management and wealth solution services to help clients succeed Business First Bank banking with greater momentum at b1bank.com support also comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette